0: To convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive.
2: We are back. Triple Threat Theater. I'm Joe Daxberger.
1: And I'm Ryan Miller. Millsy. Yes.
2: Tonight, episode 88, Mac and Me. Mm-hmm. We're talking about all the other movies Macaulay Culkin starred in.
1: Aside from?
2: Home Alone, of course. We've got yeah. 1991's "My Girl," mm-hmm. 1993's "The Good Son," mm-hmm. and 1994's "Richie Rich."
1: Yeah, we went there. We
2: sure did. And we and I don't know who's going to be upset that this isn't just all about the actual movie "Mac and Me."
1: <laughs> but consider yourselves lucky. I mean, really, "Mac and Me" the actual movie may come up later in the show. I'll tease that right now. Oh, I love a good teaser. <laughs> so I had seen all of these before. Uh, some of them, My Girl and Richie Rich, especially not in a very long time. Okay. But Richie Rich, mm-hmm. had you seen that one before? No. You hadn't? No, sir. Okay. I That was an interesting watch for me. <laughs> Just because I remembered things, and then there were things that I thought I remembered. Uh, and it turns out some of the things that I thought I remembered were a different movie altogether. Mac and me? No. <laughs> Another movie about a rich kid.
2: Okay. Did you? Uh, blank envi- check.
1: Yes. Blank yes. check. <laughs> yes.
2: I saw Blank check in the theater. What? <laughs> wow.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, I think something about the fact that both of them have kids that have roller coasters in their yard. In their yard, um, I
2: don't remember anything from playing check, other than that I know I saw it in the theater because that was like one of the movies. Like once kids in school started going to like the movies together, that like mm-hmm. tw- twelve of us went and saw that. Uh, perfect age, perfect timing. But I don't recall another roller coaster in their yard. But I do believe you that it's there.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, I don't remember blank checks super well, but I mean, you know, the whole thing in that movie is that uh, his the kid's grandmother gives him a check for his birthday, and she, like, forgets to put in the amount or something, and so the parents are just like, oh, usually she only gives you $10, just write $10 on it and take it to the bank, and um, the kid decides to write a million dollars, and then, you know, the bank hands over a million dollars to this kid, even though, like, the grandmother's account wouldn't have that in it but then the thing that i always found interesting as i got older is like when i was a kid i was like wow a million dollars is like all the money in the world think of what you could do and then like as an adult now thinking about it it's like you couldn't afford one twenty second of a roller coaster for one million no, dollars god, no. much less all the other stuff he buys but yeah you'd be yeah. probably
2: lucky to like get the plans and the uh permits for a million dollars or
1: something <laughs> yeah it's just one of those things it's like a flight of fancy and yeah. then as like i'm watching the roller coaster scene in richie rich i was like oh i i i yeah. almost like <laughs> it's like i don't know i was crossing wires between the two <laughs> movies but
2: yeah i mean you watch richie rich you'd be like a million dollars is poor people money
1: i mean yeah for so, sure there you go but anyway, um, like I said, I, I'd seen all three. I didn't remember a lot about My Girl. It had been a very long time. But uh, The Good Son I probably saw within the past, I don't know, decade or so. For, for the, the first, first time. time? Oh, interesting. Yeah, I'd only seen it the once before. but um,
2: Okay, okay.
1: Just recently, it's like complete happenstance. You know, we, Random Number Jenny picked this trio for us uh, when we recorded the last episode And then in the interim between then and now, uh, Kino Lorber had a sale on their website and one of the movies for sale. Or no, was it Kino? It might have been Gruv. Somebody had a sale. Then one of the movies on sale was The Good Son. And I was like, oh, well, perfect timing to pick that up. Was that just a
2: standard Blu-ray or someone cool put it out?
1: Uh, At first I thought it was Kino, but I actually think there's a company called Gruv that I ordered from one time and now I get emails from constantly they must have a deal with like Warner Brothers or something because they have like a ton of movies from one studio but they they're just like a they they sell just like any kind of movies it's not like they dis- they release them themselves or anything
2: Milzy um what's stopping us from just making our own boutique label it seems like the any asshole Money. can
1: start this shit up i know but
2: grove <laughs> i mean what are I gotta look this up on the internet. Maybe they just again start... grove
1: is—it's not a label. It's not like Severin or Vinegar Syndrome. It's just like a website that sells stuff.
2: Like... No, maybe, maybe, maybe not. We'll have to look into it. You might have to ask your grandfather for a small business
1: loan, but we'll get to that later. You kidding me? No. <laughs> <laughs> maybe if it, if I was my sister with a criminal track record, because uh, she can do no wrong. But me, oh, uh, man, man. Uh-uh, it ain't happening. Lord.
2: That'll be for a different podcast. <laughs> okay, so you've got history. Um, I do as well. Besides Richie Rich, never saw it. Completely aware it was Macaulay Culkin. That's basically the gist of anything I knew. Um, I've seen The Good Son a bunch of times, but not in quite a few years. I feel like we used to watch that one a lot growing up. Mac, uh, My Girl definitely seen at least once um I mean I feel like that's such like even Macaulay Culkin's all about the cultural milestones especially like Home Alone but even just uh My Girl with the the he needs his glasses to see I mean that feels like that's like an all-time movie quote so Hmm. but I did not remember shit about My Girl watching it I was like Dan Aykroyd Jamie Lee Curtis I was like what
1: I remember Dan Aykroyd. I mean, no, not we'll we we'll get into all the stuff I didn't remember about that movie <laughs> and like what it is versus what I thought it was based <laughs> oh, on my, my yes. memory. But, um, okay, okay, just Macaulay Culkin in general. Um, what, what year did Home Alone come out? Do you know off the top of your head? 90, I believe. 90. So I was like five years old. I mean, I was like perfect age when that came out. I even remember like going to a friend's house and like. We just fast-forwarded to the ending and watched all the, like, zaniness in the house, like, all the mm-hmm. the, uh, the the booby traps and things. Okay. And it's, like, weird that it was, like, a revelation for me at the time, however old I was, where I was like, wow, you can do that? You can just fast-forward to the end and watch just the, the good parts? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, always loved that movie, Um like the sequel, not as good, but right. like it. Yeah, for uh, sure,
2: but still good. I mean, we watched Home Alone so much growing up. I think. Yeah, yeah, he's actually older than me. He's got he's born two years before me. So
1: yeah, he was born in eighty. Yeah, um, I looked that up.
2: This kid was on a heater. So we got uh, movie people don't talk about enough Uncle Buck eighty nine, Home Alone ninety, My Girl ninety one, Home Alone two ninety two. Good son 93.
1: Richie Rich, yeah, yeah. Rich 94. 94. I mean, there's a couple yeah. others. But...
2: Yeah, there's other ones in there, but as far as like the big stuff, I mean, he had mm-hmm. something every year, something big every year.
1: Yeah, I mean, I saw the two Home Alones a lot when I was a kid, and I saw Richie Rich at least once back in the day. Mm-hmm. And I, I had seen my girl long ago, but like not a whole lot else. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't. Fully dig in uh, and read like a ton about him and like his personal life and stuff. But just based on things I was reading about the movies we specifically watched, like, you know, his his father, Kit Culkin, was apparently like a big like wheeler and a dealer at the time and had like a lot of pull because of how popular Macaulay Culkin was. And, you know, doing deals, trying to get all of his kids into movies. And
2: I was going to ask you, I was hoping you had more info because I did. I didn't look too much. As a, You normally don't, but I did see a couple of anecdotes about him, like, really throwing his weight around to get yeah. roles, otherwise he'd pull Yeah, out like I those.
1: said, I didn't read too much into it, um, but I, I do wonder, is it like, do they have a good relationship now, or was this like a thing where he was just like using his kids and Macaulay resents him for it at this point? I'm not sure, but yeah. then, I mean, there's also the whole Michael Jackson thing, and oh, Macaulay yeah. Culkin is like the god Father to one of Michael Jackson's kids, kids or something, yeah, or... <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, There's a lot there's... going on there, Mills. Yeah, there's a there's a lot going on there that uh, I could have dug into more, but <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. Uh, Macaulay Culkin, definitely. I don't know, like you said, kind of a touchstone. Yeah, but really, when you stop and look at it, I mean, you said Home Alone was ninety, like basically ninety through ninety four. And yeah. then he took like a nine-year hiatus from acting, and mm-hmm. then came back to not much acclaim in uh, right. Party Monster. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a that's a huge impact to have in such a short amount of time.
2: I but, mean, he's like God. He's absolutely one of the most famous child
1: actors. Yeah, you know, so for sure,
2: that's why he gets a whole episode tonight, baby. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's all it takes. You have to be the most well-known child actor in all the world, <laughs> right?
2: Or something completely fucking obscure, which
1: we've been known to do as well. So, <laughs> Yeah. Our standards are all over the place. Yeah. Uh, anyway, you want to uh, dive into movie number one? Absolutely. All right. Uh, starting us off from 1991, we have My Girl.
0: Are you going out somewhere?
2: Nope.
0: So how come you're putting lipstick
2: on? The girl's always got to look her best.
1: I think lipstick looks fake. No one's lips are that color. Have you ever tried any? No.
0: Come here, sit down. I like this. A little less. Okay. All right. Now, first we blot. Take a look. I think it looks real
2: nice on you.
0: Shelly, do you think I'm pretty?
2: Yes,
1: Beta, I think you're very pretty. You've got these great big sparkling eyes, cutest little nose, an amazing
2: mouth.
0: The boys at school don't think I am.
2: They'll come around. Close your eyes. I want to bring out the gorgeous color in there. Now, the first rule in
1: applying eye makeup is you can never wear enough blue eyeshadow.
0: Do you like putting makeup on people?
1: Mm-hmm. I've been trying to get
2: out to Hollywood for years to do makeup for all the movie stars, but I haven't gotten there yet.
0: <laughs> all right. Open your eyes. Shelly, I would definitely hold off
2: on that Hollywood
1: thing. So, yes, things I could have told you about this movie. Hit me. I remembered Dan Aykroyd was the dad. Mm -hmm. I remembered that they lived in a funeral parlor. Okay. Had no recollection of Jamie Lee Curtis. Like, when I saw her name in the opening credits, I was like, really? And remembered that Macaulay Culkin died from being stung by bees. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, as I was watching the movie, other little things came back to me. Like the like the first time you see the teacher when they're he's painting the house and they like stop to talk to him. I was mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, she's like in love with the teacher, isn't she? Like little things throughout would pop in there. But I'll tell you one thing that really uh, I had no recollection of and I really dug about it. Something that we kind of talked about before in an example like The Sandlot this thing I've talked about where it's like a, a movie can make you feel nostalgic for a time or a place that you have never been to or lived through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I did not remember at all that this movie took place in the seventies. Right. And had I mean, like that whole aesthetic going for it. But was I like that about it. A period piece. Yeah. Yeah. Had no recollection of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But same. I dug it. I mean, I didn't remember anything.
2: Um, it was fun, actually fun to watch because the aforementioned teacher Mr. Bixler's uh homeboy from
1: American Werewolf. Yeah, Griffin Dunn Sans zombie makeup. Mhm. So that was that was cool. I would have never
2: even, you know, that would have meant nothing back in the day, but mhm to see that now was cool. Yeah, so I again didn't remember much of this. I mean, definitely didn't remember all these weird ass names like veda (laughs) sultan yeah
1: it was a good while into actually you know i think the movie ended and if you had asked me i still wouldn't have known exactly what her name was (laughs) you know veda like sometimes when people pronounce it i'm like are they saying beta did they name her beta (laughs) and then like it's it's an unusual name but i went to high school with a girl named zeta and i was like they're not saying z like Mm. That, that's at least a name that I've heard before, but you yeah, have Veda.
2: Was Zeta named after like that faraway galaxy or whatever?
1: No, it was Z-A-D-A, not mm. Z, not Z-E-T-A. Damn. All right. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know where that comes from, but. <laughs> Are we
2: still friends with her? Can we get her on the horn?
1: No, I lost <laughs> track of her after high school immediately. Fair enough.
2: So back to Zeta. Veda. Veda. Sultan Fuss. <laughs>
1: But yeah, the whole movie, I was like, I I could not tell you what her actual name was. Yeah. Like I, I I knew what the basic sound was, but wasn't sure about all the consonants.
2: Oh, actually, and also imagine your name being Thomas J. Senate. And no one calls you Tom, Tommy, none of that. It's Thomas J. even. Yeah, I Very
1: also thought particular. that was weird. Like like that could be a thing where it's like a nickname or whatever that like your friends call you. Like I could understand Veda calling him that. But then I think I wanna say even after he's dead and the uh, the priest is reading at his funeral, I think he refers to him as Thomas J. Um, I, yeah, I feel like at
2: every point that's what they everybody calls him.
1: And I'm like, you know, it's never explained, but like, is that J for Junior or maybe he's named after his dad, so they call him Thomas J. And his dad's like Thomas M. Or something. I don't know. It's it is weird.
2: On IMDb, it's just a middle initial, but that doesn't necessarily.
1: Yeah. Make it gospel, but It is it is strange. <laughs> Again, I wouldn't find it strange if it was just Veda calling him that. Mm-hmm. But the fact that like even adults and all do yeah. as well is kind of weird.
2: Yeah. Thomas J. I don't know. It kinda rolls
1: off the tongue, but it's it's weird. Well, speaking of people in the movie, did you recognize anybody else in there?
2: Um Yes, matter of fact. I don't know his name, but he was like uh the writing class. Like the hippie guy, I know. This is
1: not who I was thinking of. Who is that?
2: He is from One Crazy Summer, the uh, John Cusack movie, which I have seen. I don't know, at least fifty to sixty times, probably. <coughs> um, yeah, watched the shit out of that one. So,
1: yeah, I never seen that one myself, so I who, didn't catch him. Who you got for me? Dan Aykroyd's brother in the movie. Veda's Dan Aykroyd's,
2: uncle. Aykroyd's brother in the movie. Yes.
1: Okay. Do you know who that is?
2: Um, is? I'm trying to even picture his
1: face. His real name is Richard Mazer, and he is Clark from The Thing. Oh, yes. Kurt Russell shoots him in the face. Yes, yes, of course. <laughs> I already forgot. Yeah, yeah, Clark. I don't yeah. think
2: I know him from anything else.
1: He's in the TV version of It. Um, he was on the TV show Bored to Death, which I was a big fan of. Oh, that was a good one. Uh, he's in, like, a bazillion movies as sure, well. I mean, sure. I, I know that we have brought him up on the show before. He's been in some other stuff we've watched, but I... He's just one of those that guy actors. Yeah, so. Phil Sultanfuss. Okay. Mm-hmm. Here's a question for you. Hit it. If you had to describe this movie to someone Oof. quickly, like, in a couple sentences, like, elevator pitch, like, what what would you say? <laughs> like, what is the... Like, you could go super simple and just say it's a coming of age story about a girl in the 1970s. Like, do you go that simple? Like, how would you describe in slightly more detail? I, I'm not sure I know how you could do it. I
2: don't even know if I could. I was just, I, before you finished, I was going to say, like, that is it. It's like a coming of age tale of a girl in the, what I wouldn't even ever matter is the 70s. Cause I mean, unless you pad it out with like, uh, it's a coming of age story of a girl obsessed with death. In the 70s, yeah, it's like how, I feel like if you got to put any more stank on it, you end up giving the whole synopsis of the entire movie.
1: Yeah, I was thinking about that after I watched it, because it's like, I didn't remember a lot about it. So it's not like I had a log line in my head of like, oh yeah, that's what that movie is. Like, I remembered little things about it, but... Mm -hmm. Something it's there's not a lot of movies like this, I feel, or maybe I just haven't seen a lot of movies like this, but it's almost like the movie almost like feels like it doesn't even have a concept it's just it feels as though the person that wrote it uh whose name is I, I don't even know how to begin pronouncing this, but Larice Elowani, maybe okay, uh the first name is like Maurice with an l instead of an m, but um it feels like they came up with like five characters and then just wrote their life instead of like having oh it's going to be a movie about this or you know in the end I want this to be the climax or something like it just feels like a movie where you just live with some characters and it just so happens that you know, they are written very well and, you know, performed very well. And it all just like comes together because I think this is like a very good, a very enjoyable movie. But it's not like, you know, like if I was trying to recommend it to somebody, I don't know what I'd say to convince them to watch it. Yeah. Cause
2: I think it's even like a certain people like certain groups like generations like understand a coming of age tale more like if you told i don't know some teenager right now like oh this is a coming of age movie i don't think they'd even know what you meant yeah you know, it's like a throwback kind of idea anyways i mean it's to describe it as it ha- has a ton to do with death and mm-hmm. I mean, that's really like the kind of gist of it. I mean, it's funny to even say it's like because there's some I mean, it's grief. I mean, it's really like a coming of age tale centered around grief. But that makes it sound (laughs) so much darker than it is.
1: Like even just thinking about other coming of age movies we have watched for the show. Like not super long ago, we watched Stand By Me. And I feel like you could say like it's a coming of age story about four boys who, you know, they go on a journey to find a dead body because they're curious to see it. Or if you talk about the sandlot, you could be like, it's a coming of age story about a boy who makes friends with a bunch of other kids and they bond over trying to get this baseball back that they lost. Right. Like, but this one, like, you're right. It does have these kind of broad concepts about death and morbidity because, like, she, the main characters live in and work in a funeral home. They don't touch on it a lot in the beginning of the movie. They kind of, hit you with it more towards the end but veda's mom died from complications of childbirth right you know so she died she, early on but not why yeah I don't know. it like it, it hits you all of a sudden where um when she does the first uh poetry class with the teacher which is like halfway through the movie maybe a little more i don't know mm-hmm. and she reads her like cutesy little poem And then he says to her, like, yeah, it rhymed and it was fun or whatever, but, like, it doesn't tell me about anything about you. Like, I want to know what's in your soul or something. And then her inner monologue says, uh, I think I might have killed my mom. And it, like, hits you with that. And you're like, whoa. But at that point, you don't even know how long the mom's been dead or anything. Right. But, yeah, then in the end, uh, Macaulay Culkin, her best friend, dies. So it's, like, definitely a lot about dealing with death. I I guess that is... A way you could put it, it's like a coming-of-age story about a child, like, dealing with death or understanding death. But it's, like,
2: presented in such, like, an
1: airy way that it's... Yeah, it's like there's these individual things, like, the mom has died. We learn about that. Uh, The friend does die. That's, like, a pivotal moment in the movie. And, you know, they work in a funeral parlor. They live there. That could just be, like, a, a fun kind of unique... Setting, but like you, when I think about the movie, those aren't the things I think about. I think about like all the fun parts and like them riding around on bikes and the humor. And Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, it's just I don't know, it's an interesting movie. It's kind of hard to
2: define. (laughs) I don't know if it's based on a book, but it feels like it could have easily been based on a book. It feels like that kind of
1: I don't believe it is. I think it was an original screenplay,
2: which all the same, it just yeah, to me, it feels like one. And then it's actually. a question I had for you, cause it's in, kind of interesting. Like um, I noticed in the opening credits that Anna Klumsky this is her first movie and she, they give her the introducing tag, mm-hmm. which is like kind of, kind of just like curious about that. Like when and how is that used? Or it's like, how, how much are they hedging their bets on this child actress? You know, like it feels like it's like a starring vehicle for an unknown, you know, like they're making a big deal out of, her, which they, I mean, she's good. She's good in it, so I get it.
1: Yeah, she's. I mean, she's full on the lead, hundred percent. But I guess if if this truly is like her first film or her first like major role, I mean, I I I know that there have been times where I've seen the introducing and like the person was already in a couple things before. But I guess if it's like a big enough role, they're like, yeah, they had a you know, they they played a part on an episode of Hawaii Five O, and you know, they were. Played the kid with barely any lines in like mm-hmm. this TV movie, but like now they're really acting a part. Like, this is the well, yeah, she was,
2: she was school child in Uncle Buck, and then she was the star of My Girl. So,
1: yeah, I mean, I think that makes sense then to use yeah, the introducing, but it's just there.
2: when they, it's not just star, you know, it's not just another name. It's so they use the
1: introducing, like they're making like a huge deal about it. Yeah. Well, again, I mean, she's like the main central focus of the movie. It's like all hanging on her, and they must have known she was pretty good. I mean, I I mean why to, else would yeah. you pick her, I guess? Well, but. yeah. I
2: mean, the this movie, I mean, I feel like it, it hangs on her shoulders. Even though Macaulay Culkin's in it, which I'm sure put asses in seats, even though I don't know what the actual number is, but I feel like he might not even have a total of like five minutes of screen
1: time in the whole thing. Huh. Man, it's crazy to think. You said Home Alone was 90? That was before this? Yeah, I don't know if it's just like the kind of character he plays or something, but he feels and looks younger in this than I I remember him in my head in Home Alone. I mean, it's so close, but yeah, I
2: can see what you mean. Unless you're thinking, you know, because this was a year before Home Alone Two,
1: but yeah, he just plays like you know very innocent little kid. There's not as much to him in mm-hmm. this. Maybe that's part of it, but like, if you had told me, "Oh, they filmed this before Home Alone, but it came out afterwards," like I'd, I'd totally, I'd buy believe it. that. Yeah, for sure, I would believe. I that mean, also, second. I guess a lot of it, like a lot of Home Alone, he's like by himself or he's around, you know, adults because he's home alone. It's not like him spending time with other kids. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this, pretty much every time you see him, he's next to Anna Klumsky. Is that how you yeah. pronounce her name? Mm-hmm. And you know, she looks like she's got that, you know girls tend to develop a little faster than boys kind of growth spurt. Like, she's bigger than him. Right. They were both born in 1980, so they're the same exact age when the movie is filmed, but she looks just visually a couple years older than him. Maybe that made him look or feel younger to me or something. That's the only thing I can think of to justify it. I got you. It, it, like, in my mind's eye, it feels like this was before Home Alone, even though, obviously, it wasn't. Right. <laughs> like, I, I do wonder... How many of the asses and seats were because of him
2: i mean i it's 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 weird to think, but I feel like you know without watching a trailer, I'm sure I mean he's right on the poster as well, but I don't know that home alone was so big. I feel like there definitely was some marketing behind making sure he's people yeah. are well aware he's in there,
1: mhm. Yeah, I think I, I believe I read that uh, the MPAA originally gave this a PG-13 and they had to like talk them down to a PG because mm. I was even thinking with like the heavy subject matter, uh, you know, this movie did very well uh, on a $17 million budget. It did 121.5 oh, in the box office Damn, for 91. That's huge. But I don't know how much of that is parents taking their kids to see it. I mean, I guess it's possible. It's possible, but I wouldn't. I mean, if it's a pg movie it, it stars two kids that definitely feels like it's a kid's movie but like with that dark subject matter it makes it feel like it's more mature or meant for a more mature audience than maybe it actually yeah. is and,
2: and plus being like a period piece almost like i feel like this would be more for the people that are 20 30 something in yeah. the 90s than to bring mm-hmm. your
1: kids yeah, i don't know the movie it's it's really good. It did really well and was really popular. But it's it almost feels like everything about it would be working against it actually being good or successful.
2: Yeah, it's kind of uh, feels like lightning in a bottle a bit. Just like yeah. all the the right things aligned to make a because I do think it's it's a great movie. I mean, it's yeah. a tearjerker. Tears were flowing in the Daxberg
1: house. <sighs> I mean, you're not wrong. It, when this movie hits, it hits hard. <laughs> oh yeah and like sustained like the entire like last act of the movie wow
2: and i would have i would have told you he just like happens upon bees i didn't I would, it makes it even worse that he would they had already been there once and he was looking for her mood ring oh forget mm-hmm. about it
1: yeah because if she already thinks that she killed her mom and now it's like yeah. when she's given well i mean she knows about the beehive thing like when she's given the ring back especially i mean She's got to feel like it's her fault that he died too, right?
2: <laughs> I mean, that or just, you know, you could definitely look at that two different ways. That or just, uh, I guess the, there is a loving feeling maybe just that he would you know, he was doing that for her, you know, looking. So I feel like it all depends on the person, how they could take that one. But yeah. yeah. Certainly. They don't play it that way that she feels any guilt no. about it, but
1: they easily could have but they definitely don't mm-hmm. in that moment right yeah jamie lee curtis as we mentioned before completely forgot she was in it but she was really good just super likable
2: yeah totally she got her own little subplot of getting away from her shitty ex-husband and mm-hmm. you know all that was
1: fun she was good
2: i mean she's definitely like you know filling a role of it was tough for veda i think to take her in definitely hmm. but then you know
1: Well, it's funny. It's like it seems like she is perfectly fine with her, like having her as a friend. But then as soon as she's like monopolizing her dad because they start a relationship, that's when she starts to have problems with her, which I get. Oh, yeah, totally. But, uh, man, Dan Aykroyd, like for a kind of big comedic actor like him, like a very understated and good performance as well.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's a good actor. I mean, it's funny. Even watching this, I was trying to think, like, how many. How many Dan Aykroyd movies do I know and have also seen? I mean, he's mm-hmm. got a ton of credits. He's got uh, 113 acting credits, mm-hmm. which is a lot. But I'm just thinking back to, of course, like, you know, we watched Ghostbusters on replay constantly growing up. I mean, also a big one for me is uh, Spies Like Us.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I love that movie. I haven't seen it in a long time, but. I feel like I should own it because I could put that on anytime and watch it. (laughs) Yeah, but as far back then, I don't know if I know like a ton of movies he was in. You know, I've seen the Blues Brothers, but oh
1: yeah, I mean you got like Coneheads. You've got uh, the Dragnet movie. I think was him and Tom Hanks. Maybe
2: yeah, it was. I actually liked that movie a lot too.
1: There's, like, uh, noth- is it Nothing But Trouble, that crazy movie with Chevy Chase. Yeah,
2: there's some movie that he, that, like, bombed hard. And, like, this, actually, My Girl was, like, a comeback for him. Mm. I remember, oh, he's in Sneakers, of
1: course. Right.
2: Small But it's,
1: like, I guess, it's interesting that, like, nowadays, it feels like there's lots of instances of, like, people that are known for comedy, but then they do, like, serious stuff and can end up being really impressive like bob odenkirk on better call saul or even you know um uh fuck what's his name walter white uh
2: brian cranston
1: yeah brian cranston because like he wasn't only known for comedy stuff but like the big thing most people would have known him for before breaking bad was uh malcolm in the middle Mm -hmm. and then like i haven't watched it i understand the show's great and i want to watch it but like bill hader doing that show Barry. Right, same. Uh, tons of instances of stuff like that, or even like Steve Carell doing the movie, uh, is it Fox Catcher? And...
2: Right, right.
1: But like back then, I feel like you didn't get that as much from comedians. Like if you were a comedy guy, you mainly did right. comedy. Yeah, but, for And sure. I mean, there is humor to this role for sure, but it's like super understated. Quick sidebar,
2: did I just learn recently that you're a Bill Hader super fan?
1: Uh, I mean, I... I like posted a picture on Instagram, and I was like, uh, I was downloading all the Bill Hader interviews I could find just because I like listening to him talk.
2: All right, super fan,
1: I like it. Yeah, watch, watch Barry. <laughs> I mean, me if I was a super is. fan, I probably would have watched Barry by now. But um, yeah, I just find that uh, I've been listening to Conan O'Brien's podcast recently, and I listened to an interview with him, and he's one of those guys where. You know, in addition to being really funny and I love hearing him do all of his impressions, Um, I feel like he's, he's a big fan of like old movies and stuff. And like apparently that's where a lot of the inspiration for Barry came from was him like liking old movies and Hitchcock and stuff. And so like there's another level to in addition to just like this guy's funny. I like to hear him say funny things that mm-hmm. I find him interesting. OK, I like it. Like him, Patton Oswalt's kind of the same way because he's, like, so knowledgeable about, like, pop culture and and nerdy stuff that, like, in addition to him being very funny, I could just listen to him talk about anything.
2: (laughs) Okay, fair. I like it. Everybody check out Bill Hader.
1: (laughs) But, um, uh, yeah, so, like, I don't know what other kind of, like, dramatic stuff maybe Dan Aykroyd has done, but, like, I was, I don't know, impressed by how kind of, downplayed and understated he was in this like he i just imagine him as like a larger than life personality based on most of the things i feel like i've seen him in so it it felt like he was just like stepping back and letting himself support the other people in the movie yeah which is for sure. i don't know yeah, he's great like but he was really good at the same time so
2: 100 percent, i'm with you it's a solid flick this one
1: yeah <laughs> the original title of the script was born jaundiced jesus christ <laughs> i mean they have that element in the movie where i don't know if um what's what's the term for someone who always thinks they're sick Ooh, um uh i can't remember the the term for it but i'm not sure if don't know i'm not sure if veda is supposed to be that or if it's more of just like uh, she wants attention kind of thing that's more what it felt like to me but that's what that's a play on because i think she does say like in one of her few inner monologue parts that uh, she was born with jaundice.
2: <laughs> but
1: uh, weird title for the movie. Uh,
2: hypochondriac.
1: Hypochondriac. Yeah. And, you know, I don't... I, I read so many conflicting things about the title of the movie that I didn't end up writing any of them down. But the more interesting one that I heard is that... Uh, or that I read was that the studio who produced the movie offered any of their employees who could come up with a better title uh five hundred dollars <laughs> and that's how they ended up on my girl better than born jaundiced yeah
2: jesus christ i mean <laughs> i but, feel like this thing would have been dead on arrival in the theater with a name like fucking born jaundiced
1: oh for sure absolutely jesus christ but yeah so did you know that this had a sequel nope yeah i, I did uh, see the poster but. Yeah, I didn't know about that until recently as well, but uh, My Girl 2 was released in 1994 and follows Veda as she travels to Los Angeles to learn more about her deceased mother.
2: Terrible idea. Uh,
1: just keeping the whole death train rolling. <laughs> Terrible idea. Anna Klumsky, Dan Aykroyd, Jamie Lee Curtis, and Richard Mazer, and the director of the first one, Howard Zeef, maybe, uh, all returned for the sequel, which only grossed $28 million.
0: Mm. So a
1: yeah. hundred million less than the first it's one. Bad idea. Yeah, it just that definitely sounds like a Hollywood marketing. This yeah. thing
2: is so popular. Come on, let's do another one.
1: And then uh apparently in two thousand three in an interview, Dan Aykroyd stated that Columbia Pictures was trying to get another sequel off the ground called Still My Girl. Mm-hmm. And in two thousand nine both Aykroyd and Klumsky were attached, but in twenty twelve Klumski stated that the film was basically dead and wasn't going to happen.
2: Yeah, who would that be for,
1: you know? I mean, if the movie still does have fans, like I, I it well, it's sure. it's not the the this like big thing where I feel like people would be dying for another sequel, but
2: right. I mean it's like any other legacy sequel.
1: Yeah, I mean, imagine what it would be It'd be like, you know, she she's now an adult with her own daughter And mm-hmm. it'd be like the same thing all over again, probably Pretty much But, uh, yeah, so Anna Klumsky um, She, I didn't write down dates or anything But she did, you know, a couple movies And then decided to uh, leave acting to go to college uh, So she would have been like 10 or 11 when My Girl came out so probably late '90s goes to college, and then she ended up working a couple of odd jobs. Like I think she worked for a publicist or something, and did like data entry jobs or something like that. And basically was just like bored with normal jobs, and so she got back into acting. Oh, she hasn't done like a ton of high profile stuff, but she one of the, one of her first things back when she started acting again was a low budget horror movie called Blood Car.
2: You have it, don't you?
1: (laughs) No, I don't yet. (laughs) She was in the movie In the Loop, which I feel like was relatively popular, and then she got a recurring part on the show Veep, and she was in 65 episodes of that.
2: I've never seen it, but that's a pretty popular show.
1: Yeah, uh, I've heard very good things. I could imagine myself watching and enjoying that show, but uh, at this point in life, it's tough to dive into a series that's that long. You're not wrong. Yeah but uh hence why I haven't watched Barry yet even though that's only four seasons but uh yeah so my girl I don't know my girl
2: shall we move on
1: we shall uh from 1993 movie number two is The Good Son
0: sure missed an interesting session I like therapy what did you tell her sorry it's strictly confidential but you better stop telling lies about me, because no one's going to believe you. Sooner or later, they're going to find out about you. Who's they?
1: My dad? My mom?
0: I told your mom.
1: Why would she believe you? She's my
0: mom, not yours. You know you're wrong about that. She is my mother. Your mom? You crazy? Your mom's maggot food. My mom said she'd always be with me. She chose your mom as a way of coming back. But I guess she wouldn't understand that. But it's true. She's my mother now. Hey, Mark. Don't fuck with me.
1: Yeah, I had seen this before. Didn't remember a lot of specifics, but, uh, you know, would have called myself a fan.
2: Mm-hmm. Same. Same.
1: I feel like rewatching it now. It was clunkier than I remembered. Okay. So for anybody who doesn't know, the premise of this movie is that uh uh Elijah Wood is the main character and his mother dies. I don't think it's ever said, but it seems like cancer or something.
2: Yeah, she's sick.
1: And um, his father is played by David Morse, and he's some kind of businessman who's, like, on the, the verge of closing this big deal, but he has to fly to Tokyo for it, like, right after his wife dies. And he basically is like, I need to be here for my son, but if I go close this one deal, then I'll be, like, set for life, and I never have to be away from my son again. So... David Morse's brother played by Daniel Hugh Kelly offers for Elijah Wood to come and spend like the two weeks with them that his father will be away. And, uh, they have their own two children. Uh, one is Macaulay Culkin and -hmm. the other is actually Connie Culkin, Macaulay Culkin's younger sister, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which am I mistaken? Or did this have an introducing credit for her too?
2: Um, I missed it, but I wouldn't <laughs> I be surprised. think it might
1: have. And so, uh, Elijah Wood's character, you know, he's going through a tough time. His mother just died. He moves in with his aunt and uncle and their kids, his cousins. And over the course of, you know, the two weeks, learns that his cousin, played by Macaulay Culkin, is like a raging psychopath.
2: <laughs> right.
1: I mean there's there's a lot of movies like the it, it's like um Cable Guy but not a comedy and with kids. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. one of these movies where a normal person ends up trapped in this like relationship of some kind with a crazy person. It's also a little bit like Fatal Attraction which we talked about not terribly long ago. Right. And it's like an interesting concept to do that with children. But At the same time, I don't know, this time around, one of my big feelings about it was that, like, I understand I've listened to enough last podcast on the left episodes about serial killers and what their childhoods are like and how they have like no emotions and stuff. And the way it's written and maybe partially the way the role is played by Macaulay Culkin just felt really corny to me. Interesting. So I was reading, there's a lot, we'll talk more about it in a a couple minutes, but there's a lot of like backstory about like the making of this movie and changes that happened because uh, they lost the original director at one point and um, they I think they dropped the original writer at some time and then like the new director came in and simplified the story. But like there were scenes that were cut that explained more about Macaulay Culkin's character and what's going on with him. Because in the movie, you know, there's talk of, like, he's evil or whatever. And you can, you know, interpret that he's just, you know, he's a crazy sociopath or something like that. You know, there are terms for these things. But the way it's played in the movie, they never really explain a whole lot of it. And it sounds like there were sequences, like, originally the movie was going to have a scene where the mom... Uh, Macaulay Culkin's character's mom, the aunt, was going to talk to him and realize that uh, he could not, feel, like he he just couldn't feel empathy for other people, and like the only way that he could feel anything was by doing bad things, and like these are all things you can kind of read into it. But in the movie, a couple of times they just use the word evil. <laughs> And then the way in the end of the movie, he, I know, I mean, I know he is bad. He has done terrible things. And it's insinuated that he murdered his infant brother by drowning him in the bathtub. Mm -hmm. But it's still weird to me. It felt odd that at the end of the movie, the mother decides, like, literally, it's the scene where she, like, the two kids are hanging off a cliff. And she decides to let her son, who is evil, go and pull up Elijah Wood. And then they cut to this super bloody shot of a child's body on the rocks below. It's like, I don't know, the movie felt really oddly toned. And like they were trying to get to these serious dark places, but handling it in a really ham-fisted, corny manner. That was the the main feeling I came away with. Like it didn't play as well to me as I feel like it did the first time. Mm. And I don't know if that's because not to say I'm any kind of like, you know I I'm I'm no specialist on the subject or anything, but like I said, since the last time I saw the movie, I've like read and listened to a lot of podcasts and things about serial killers and whatnot. And not to say that he is a serial killer, like he definitely feels like he could have grown up to become one, but um it just, I don't know, a lot of things read kind of false and loose to me. Okay, okay. How did you feel?
2: Um, I don't necessarily agree with any of that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, As I was watching it, I mean, I've seen this a bunch when I was a kid and um, liked it quite a bit. Uh, this time around, I definitely thought, I definitely had feelings of being like it felt very um, like pumped up for a movie because at some at certain points I kind of forgot. I would have guessed going in that like his parents had died and he was just living with them. Now, it wasn't just like a two week trip to hang mm-hmm. out with his cousins that he hasn't seen. And since, you know, he was an infant. Yeah. So there's just like so much horrible stuff is happening in like such a small amount of time and it's like no one's catching on but elijah wood that like this dude's a lunatic yeah so it's like that didn't feel like high and tight as it probably felt to me when i was watching it as i was younger i was like it was just feeling like really out there that no one's like kind of doing more with it. either of them even when elijah woods like got him on his bed with a scissors to his throat and Macaulay's dad is just like, I'm just going to go put you in another room. It's like, Dude, you can't scissors <laughs> to your kid's throat. Like you got no idea what's going on. But at the, at certain points, it felt very like movie script ish. Like the, the, a lot of the stuff would not play out as yeah. it did. Um, saying corny, like nothing really here registers as corny to me, but people's definitions of corny are always different. But
1: well, one um, example, specific kind of example that I can give is like, um, you know, if like it, it's a it's a thing where like uh you know Jeffrey Dahmer, for example, uh he had like a fascination with dead things and like it was interested in like bones and like you know roadkill and stuff like that. So like I buy that like uh Macaulay Culkin's character would have a fascination with killing animals. Like he tries to kill a cat at one point and he succeeds in killing a dog at one point, but then something that it feels like, I guess they're supposed to be about the age that they were when they made the movie, like in the vicinity of like 12 or 13 years old, maybe. Yeah, I think so. But like the like scheming pre planning stuff, like when Elijah Wood wakes up in the middle of the night and Macaulay Culkin's not there. And Elijah Wood goes downstairs and discovers the refrigerator door open. And then he looks inside and Macaulay Culkin's behind him and he's like, hungry go ahead eat drink Mm -hmm. and based on that elijah wood is like oh no he poisoned the food and he's like cramming all the food down the the garbage disposal and macaulay culkin runs upstairs and gets his parents to make it look like elijah wood's crazy like things like that feel for a child to be doing like too advanced and sinister where it feels like a, a child who had some kind of like social disorder or whatever you want to call it would be more of like an impulsive thing. Like, yes, I want to kill an animal just to see what it feels like. Then I'm going to blackmail my cousin. <laughs> I don't know. It bills you're too well versed in murder. Stuff like that. Just read <laughs> that. I really feel like that could be it is that I've just like sunken too deep into the, right. You know, you're, the stereotype of yeah. like true crime and you're, serial you're killer like a... quote unquote, <laughs> Like fandom these yeah. days. You're, you're like
2: mine Hunter,
1: like uh, that like uh,
2: Profiler.
1: <laughs> and again, like I can, I can, I can believe that like Macaulay Culkin's character would have like some weapon that he fashioned out in the garage. But he built like a fucking crazy crossbow thing with like a a crank and release system that fires like uh, you know, bolts. metal bolts with like mm-hmm. real accuracy. Like, if, again, if if that was, like, something that uh, him and his dad had built at, like, Father Sunday at summer camp or something, it'd be different. But, like, we're led to believe that Macaulay Culkin just built this thing out of nothing in the days before the Internet. <laughs> I don't know. It, there were so many things in it where I was like, I like the story they're trying to tell, but so many things gave me pause to be like, what? I don't know. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. That that's just that was my personal experience with it this time. Yeah.
2: None of that like really registered for me.
1: I still like it overall, but I feel like something was taken away from it this time.
2: Yeah, he was like uh for me it definitely again, like I feel like he was this kid had murder on his mind. It was like just waiting for like the right house guest to come for a couple weeks before he just started going like evil at every <laughs> every chance he got. So Yeah. Again, that kind of just plays into me with the feeling like so much of like a movie script where it's just like there's no there's not a lot of room to breathe it's like every horrible thing is happening in succession so so quickly that like that seemed unrealistic to me but
1: yeah like the one thing that he had really done was drowning the baby brother but then elijah wood comes to stay with them and he's like kills a dog throws the dummy off the highway overpass to (laughs) cause an accident tries to drown his sister at the pond like just thing after thing after thing (laughs) all of a sudden
2: yeah it could have seemed like there could have been a a little more about other happenstance no one can explain or something so yeah that definitely fell off for me i'm glad they you know there was some i don't know if it's just uh elijah wood calling him evil or whatever i'm glad i'm actually glad there's no like supernatural angle or anything like oh anymore. for just, sure just, just like yeah. creepy shitty kid and i will say i think Macaulay hockland is so good in this and so so like believable he's like got that he's got the home alone charm while also like the scenes of him being a little shit i think were great i was all about it i mean that scene where they're up in the treehouse and he's just like, Mark, don't fuck with me. I was like, that is the best shit. I forgot
1: about that. So when it
2: happened, I was
1: Yeah. I was whooping it
2: up. I was like, Yeah, hell yeah.
1: I I see, I honestly feel like I have the opposite feeling about Macaulay and his performance and his acting ability, maybe as well. Like, I feel like, you know, the the character he's playing and My Girl and how simple it is, like that's relatively believable. But like even I I still love Home Alone, and I take nothing away from it, but, like, looking back at it, there are a lot of times, in addition to when he literally looks into the camera, like, breaking the fourth wall in that movie, Mm -hmm. which he also does at the end of Richie Rich, that became, like, a Macaulayism, I guess, but I feel like a lot of times... He's a kid, but, you know, I feel like he's not a great actor in as much as he's believable. Like, times where he says, like... Don't fuck with me, Mark, or like some other lines when he's like alone with Elijah Wood and, you know, he's playing up this villain character. And like, you know, I don't remember specific examples, but like, oh, well, something bad could happen to my sister. I feel like it feels like he's play acting like it doesn't feel like a real performance. It feels like he's saying things that are written in a script. Like it doesn't I he's not selling it super well for me. He just feels like that kind of child commercial actor who like smiles at the camera after every line. He's he's like not super believable to me. Which is like fine in something I feel like in like a lot of Home Alone or like in Richie Rich where it's like a heightened sense of reality but in this movie where it's supposed to be like dark and serious like I feel like Elijah Wood is on like another level of acting than Macaulay Culkin in this movie.
2: I would say that for sure. I think,
1: and Elijah putting them side great. by side and all those scenes together doesn't help Macaulay's performance <laughs> that much for me. Yeah, I don't. know. To me, it definitely reads as a creepy little shit. So that's enough for
2: me on that one. But yeah, I think we're not not gonna align uh, on that. But yeah, yeah. When he's like when he's being a fucking little asshole. I mean, I definitely was like this little prick. so yeah i don't feel like any a point i was like oh this kid can't act you know because he can and then i maybe just the you know dozens of viewings of home alone too or just like it feels like he's kevin McAllister when he's being good and then it's like they really play up him being evil and i do think the script overdoes it at points for sure like i mentioned but
1: Mm -hmm.
2: yeah i don't think this is a, a bad performance by him at all
1: yeah I mean, i bad may be too strong a word, but i like I would say at the very least for me unconvincing, yeah <laughs> and i again, I think a lot of it is the level of movie where it's like supposed to be like serious and dramatic and dark and
2: your your encyclopedic knowledge of murderers <laughs> <is> <laughs> I, no, I just
1: shows think like, all flaws. Like Elijah Wood. Like if he could have played the villain, I imagine he would have been much better and or more convincing. Maybe not because I do feel like the writing of the the evil character in this is also a little, you know, cornball, especially for a kid of that age. But, you know, whatever. I, ju- I just feel like Elijah Wood is kind of uh, to use a uh, phrase that you like to use uh he's kind of stuffing macaulay culkin in a locker where the acting <laughs> ability is concerned in this movie
2: oh shit yeah he's real good in it i'll definitely give you that
1: yeah but uh so yeah let me let me give you the little bit of backstory behind oh. this movie so um i guess the writer of this film he's written a couple of movies but he's more known as a novelist. He wrote the novel that the movie Atonement was based on. Okay. And so he had written a movie in like the mid, or, or he'd written a book in the mid 80s that was like well received. And after he wrote it, Fox came to him and commissioned him to write a script for them. The way I read it, it was like they were just wanted something that was like a thriller, maybe involving children. <laughs> And so he wrote the original script for The Good Son and turned it in in 1987, but Fox deemed it, quote-unquote, insufficiently commercial. The hell? Uh, and they basically shelved it. <laughs> okay. But then, f- <laughs> this is such a weird combo, but following the successes of Home Alone and Silence of the Lambs, the studio decided to move forward with the project. I'm guessing partially because... Silence of the Lambs that's like one of the few times where a quote unquote horror movie has broken through the mainstream, and I think it won best picture where normally movies that are that dark and fucked up are snubbed entirely by you know critics mm-hmm. so uh Jesse Bradford, who I'm not really familiar with, but he was in hackers uh Boslerman's Romeo and Juliet, and a couple of other things. He was originally cast as Henry, but Macaulay Culkin's father, Kit, who we talked <laughs> about a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. wanted to prove Macaulay's range as an actor and gave the studio the ultimatum that his son would only appear in Home Alone 2 if he was also allowed to play Henry in The Good Son. Man. And so the studio buckled and Jeez. was like, yes, please, we want Home Alone 2. God damn. So because of his bankability, they agreed, and um, they had to So they had already started like building sets and casting for The Good Son. But then because of that deal, they had to push back the start date of The Good Son by a year so that Home Alone 2 could film first.
2: Oh, wow.
1: And because of that, the original director, uh, Michael Lehman, who made such films as Heathers, Hudson Hulk, uh, Airheads, and 40 Days and 40 Nights, left the project. Um, But apparently that's also what made it Schedule-wise, possible for Elijah Wood to be in the movie, so give mm-hmm. and take, I suppose. And I believe that's around the time they dumped the writer as well. And uh, so Kit Culkin, Macaulay's dad, he was the one who kind of hand-picked director Joseph Rubin to do the movie when Michael Lehman left and Joseph Rubin wanted to bring in his own screenwriter who he'd worked with before. So that's when they apparently like simplified the script. Cause this guy was used to doing just like kind of mainstream thrillers. He'd done like the stepfather sleeping with the enemy. He also directed dreamscape earlier on, but uh... Mm -hmm. yeah. So apparently that's where like the script got like, dumbed down a little bit and was more just focused on shock value than like i said the kind of like digging into what's wrong with this kid which i don't know if that would have made it better i would i think it would have potentially made it a little more interesting but mm. i will never know mm-hmm. but um, probably taking after his father being pushy with the film industry I read that Macaulay Culkin demanded a BB gun in exchange for agreeing to do a stunt involving a thirty-foot fall on a cable from the actual cliff during the climax.
2: Uh, yeah, I did read a thing. They built like a
1: whole <laughs> cliff and all this stuff, and yeah, they had
2: a lot of finagling to get him to hang by a rope.
1: Yeah, so like he fucking demanded a BB gun, and they, <laughs> the studio bought him a BB gun to get him to do the fucking stunt. <laughs> but uh...
2: uh, wild times.
1: Budget on this one, this is kind of a broad number, but seventeen to twenty-eight million. Very broad. Okay. Uh, box office of sixty point six million. This rated R, right? Yeah. Uh, it has to be. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And the movie I also read was not released theatrically in the UK because of a highly publicized crime in which uh, the that happened like right at the same time in I think nineteen ninety three where two 10-year-old boys abducted a 2-year-old boy from a shopping mall while his mother wasn't looking and then uh, brutally beat him and mutilated him and murdered him, and, like threw God him on damn. a train track, and his like body got severed in half by a train. What the fuck? And they became the youngest convicted murderers of the 20th century. They were tried as adults. <laughs> Jeez. An edited version of the movie was released on video in the UK in nineteen ninety five and finally released Uncut on DVD in two thousand two. But apparently yeah that was a huge case in the UK and so they were like, yeah, kid murder, not mm. not high on our list of things right now.
2: Meanwhile the US is like,
1: serve it up. Yeah, basically. All right. The good son. How did you like what did you think about the actual climax and like the uh the mother the decision the mother makes <laughs> i mean it's the only decision to make i mean if it'd be different if he hadn't tried
2: to kill her you know but yeah he did you know he's the one that knocked her off the thing anyways so i mean they don't i feel like other i could see other movies like drawing out that whole her her deciding what to do but it actually kind of happens like you know she's not saying anything or did like it's just a you know, a high tension moment. And then she lets him go. But I mean, that's like the only way to end it. I think. <laughs> yeah. I it's, mean, it's just, uh, man, I mean, he's, put... he's talking that shit saying he loves her and all that yeah. and shit. But I mean, she it's later, much later in this runtime where she's finally is like, wait, something's going on here.
1: Mm-hmm. And the only adult to feel that way. Right. So again, back to just like script
2: problems, I think is how it, uh, you know there's so much terror going on in a short amount of time but no one is noticing yeah plays into that but yeah i think uh i don't know cuz it's like rated r and it's like even though it's a kid he's like a real evil fucker so i had no <laughs> issue with his bloody lifeless body on the rocks i mean I yeah i mean
1: i was like i said kind of surprised by it but it's like they put you they put her in this like impossible situation where she seemingly can only save one of them and it's just nuts to think like she's gonna drop one of these kids off a cliff
2: (laughs) yeah but I mean I think it's the craziest part of being kids because I'm sure we've seen this exact thing in other movies or something like decided oh 100% it it is the fact that it's
1: kids that makes the difference like if it was two adults like I don't really give a shit who she drops like you know (laughs) I can justify it within the movie but I almost like you know, not saying that this is what they should have done, but think about how much more impactful the ending would have been if in that moment you're sure she's going to drop Macaulay and she drops Elijah instead and then I pulls mean, up Macaulay because he is her son and, like, she can't drop her own I son. Mean, that'd be some and then it just ends on her, like, hugging him on the rocks and, like, closing on his evil fucking I'd face. Be, that'd be some shit, for <laughs> sure. That would be fucking nuts, wouldn't it? Yeah. I mean, the way it actually does it, it's also kind of corny how it, it's just because it's kids in these situations, but they like cut to. Yeah.
2: If I I was going to say anything was corny, I would say this part.
1: (laughs) Yeah. They cut to this beautiful vista and uh, Elijah Wood's like silhouetted standing in the sunset. And I think there's, is there voiceover from him talking about it? Oh yeah. Talking
2: about if would she had made the same decision again or some shit. Yeah, it's just it's but really. But they never talked about it. it. Just seems like an odd thing to tack on at the end. Yeah, <laughs> and he's like back in like the Red Rocks, like mm-hmm. seemingly back home or something. Yeah, but the, again, it just plays to it being like crazy that this all allegedly happened. All of this over the course of two weeks. Mm-hmm. It's pretty bonkers.
1: Yeah, it's definitely an interesting exercise. I like the concept a lot. I feel like the execution is a little bit muddy. Like this movie's under ninety minutes, I think, which you know that you want that for a thriller probably
2: yeah. eighty seven
1: minutes, yeah, I feel like you easily could have extended this to like an hour forty five though and like fleshed it out a little more, he and- wants to
2: see inside the brain of the killer.
1: I mean, even if not that, you were even saying that it feels like a lot happens in a short amount of time. Like, he just all of a sudden goes into overdrive and is doing all these bad things. If they could have paced it out, like, a little better or something, I don't know. Yeah, I think even, like, story-wise, it's just, I think it was a mistake just to have it be a
2: two-week thing. Like, he Mm shouldn't, like, it would have made more sense to me. Summer or Bolt his parents die. I don't know, something just would make more sense Yeah, for the psycho killer kid to, like enact his plans to for bedlam
1: yeah Uh, this goes back yet again to my whole like oh it would make more sense based on real serial killers but like they play him like he actively wants to be a villain i mean he does have that interesting line after they throw the dummy off the overpass into traffic where they're in that um like sewer tunnel thing and the only time he really gives any indication of like Why he's doing what he's doing is he's like you once you realize you can get away with or do anything, that's when you're really free and you feel like you can fly, which is like an interesting inkling of something that's never really explored any further. But like. If in like if they, if they did play it out more like this is over the course of the summer and it's like more gradual and you watch him come to that realization so that's like the explanation for why things ramp up or something mm-hmm. and it, if it was less of he feels like a scheming villain who is planning to do these things. But if you almost got more of a feeling of like, it's happening naturally, he has these urges. He doesn't understand why, but as he comes to this realization, like I can get away with these things, then that emboldens him more. I just feel like that it's a different kind of movie, honestly, like as I'm describing it, I know that that's a different kind. That's more of like a drama than a thriller. And this movie is just concerned with being like, holy shit, can you believe what this kid did? But i feel like i'd find that more compelling <laughs> yeah i think they they don't touch on it really at all or enough i think just the
2: main thing is like him he's like jealous of people getting in the way between him and his mother because so it's like his kills little brother and then like yeah. there's that scene where elijah wood's like crying on the stairs and the mom's consoling him and Macaulay's like watching him from upstairs like a little
1: mm-hmm. creep and shit like
2: there's never really any bits of dialogue to support that, but that's kinda of what I come away with it being too is
1: Yeah. I even wish like if that were the case, if they had delved a little more into that.
2: Yeah. I mean I think
1: that would uh that would have helped. Yeah. So like it's yeah, I don't I don't hate this movie or anything. I definitely have more complex feelings about it than I expected to when I went into this rewatch, but
2: mm-hmm. you know. I mean, you're not, you're not quite the
1: uh, into the legalese of over the top, but the, the mind
2: of the, the young killer
1: is a second to that. I mean, few things make less sense than the logic of over the top. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Not to get into that again. Love it. Uh, uh, movie number three. Please. All right. Finally, from 1994, we have Richie Rich. So, Richie, what have you come to see me about?
0: Well, until my parents come back, I've taken a...
1: ...sabbatical, so.
0: I've taken a sabbatical from school. You know, so I can be here and run things.
1: <laughs> run things. <laughs> um, Richie, the, uh... the job of senior officer of a multi... multinational corporation. It's very, um, demanding. Business hours go, well, just way past your bedtime. So, I think that it's best to leave this job to... to an adult who has experience in these matters. Okay? I don't think so.
0: By the way, Cadbury, how much stock do I own?
1: Until your parents are found, sir. As the sole heir, you own 51% of the voting stock. Yes, but you are not of legal age to exercise your voting rights.
2: But I am, sir. And under the terms of the rich estate, I stand in loco parentis and guardian ad litem to Master Richie. And accordingly, I give him full proxy power and
1: authority.
0: And by the way, the United Tool stays open
1: fine the poor little rich boy milsey yes who is this movie made for um i understand why you're asking that question my actual response is kids okay (laughs) i did think going into this movie and in the beginning like during the first act i was like watching this like once upon a time, this is based on a comic book from Harvey Comics, and it was like, you know, Richie rich, He's the poor little rich boy. And I feel like the way that society, at least the media used to function back in the day with like so many heroes like Batman and characters like uh, the shadow uh, or the phantom being like rich guys who were then also heroes. Mm-hmm. when it feels like you get into the 60s and then they're inventing like spider-man who's like down on his luck and has to struggle and that's what we identify more with nowadays like mm-hmm. same thing with richie richie rich like how did richie rich a comic about a kid with all the money in the world like what like i guess that was appealing to people during like the depression or something
2: <laughs> but yeah just like given like uh yeah you can you can rise up out of your poor situation and become a rich kid or something
1: but like, watching it now, going into this viewing, I was like, I have a feeling this movie is going to play, like, really poorly because <laughs> especially, like, the world that we live in now. Uh-huh. And? So, like, I I, I fully understand why you would ask that question. Mm-hmm. And I do still think that it's, you know, it's it's definitely questionable. It's definitely a thing that feels like it's out of the time in which it would have been meaningful or successful to people. Mhm. But with that said, not taking that into account and just like taking it as like an adventure movie for kids, I actually found that I had a lot of fun watching this and like when it was over I was thinking to myself that was like the monetary connotations, you know, the bigger picture notwithstanding. That was a really well-made, fun movie with like entertaining set pieces and stuff for kids.
2: If only I was, if only I was a kid to have seen it, because I did not feel that way at all.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just by the end of the movie, when like Macaulay Calkin and uh, Professor Keenbean are running around with like all the gadgets, like the. They're super sticky liquid and like a laser beam like shooting at the the statues and Mm -hmm. like the little spray gun like that is all the kind of stuff that I surely did and would have eaten up as a kid and I still recognize it now as like you know just all these elements and like the adventure aspect of it and everything and like the riff on uh, the ending of North by Northwest I found all that stuff really fun personally on a surface level
2: (laughs) i uh found this a chore to get through yeah i do agree like when it got to the point of them like you know jumping across scaffolding on this stupid mount rushmore of rich people and all (laughs) that like i was like where has this been the whole time (laughs) um yeah because i was almost like is this like i don't know like tin at all but i was like i was like is this like what Tintin tin would feel like if it was like a rich kid i don't know, like that's just like an idea of like i wish this was more felt more like the adventure movie you just described where
1: yeah it's mainly in the third act I'll, I'll, I'll yeah admit.
2: um yeah i just getting through to that and then just being like i don't know just like yeah this rich kid and then back to just the whole point of this episode to be it's like oh macaulay call good past his prime his voice is starting to change like I think he was like too old for this even
1: well one of the funniest things that I read about the movie is that Macaulay Culkin was five foot two inches tall when they shot this film Ugh. so they cast all all of the adults to be naturally over six feet tall to make him look smaller
2: (laughs) yeah (laughs) so all
1: of the actors like the adult actors in the movie are like super tall in real life to to me it's like I think I was multiple
2: times while watching it I was just like I was just like how much better would this be if he was like more of like the charismatic age he was in like Home Alone or something because now he just feels like a he feels like a moody preteen like (laughs) (laughs) to me he felt like he didn't want to be there like he just, it was like, he was just making his way through. I mean, I will say, like, big set pieces, but, you know, this movie was made at the perfect time. Like, early 90s, like, they're still making big sets and the whole thing, but.
1: Yeah, $40 million budget for a kid's movie. I'm Shit, that's a lot for 94. Yeah. But I'm sure they were looking at this, and I, I don't remember exactly when, like, Jumanji came out, but I'm sure that movie had a big budget and paid off, and, like, that's probably the kind of thing they were trying to do with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would make sense. But. Jumanji must have come after this, right? Maybe, maybe uh, not, I don't know.
2: Uh, well, we're about to find out, but um, <laughs> yeah, it just felt like not not nearly enough for me.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't remember a ton about the movie, but... Uh, Jumanji was 95. Okay, so the year after. But like, you know, I had recollections of liking this when I was a kid. Definitely a movie I never thought I would watch again as an adult, mm-hmm. <laughs> but... So, I do still feel like Macaulay Culkin has kind of a stiff, phony performance in this, but similar to the way that I think it works in Home Alone, I think it works here, because it's not meant to be taken seriously. I really liked uh, Jonathan Hyde, who played Cadbury the butler.
2: Yeah, I think he's probably, like, the shining star for the whole thing for
1: me. He was a lot of fun. I mean, he's he's in Jumanji, isn't he? Isn't he uh, Van Pelt, the... The hunter?
2: Oh, I don't have
1: it in front of me. Uh, yes, he is. He's in Jumanji. He's in he's in Anaconda. Um, yep. The British guy in Anaconda. He's in the Mummy, which we also watched.
2: Yep, I actually know him from The Strain as well. Mm, he's a big okay. character on The Strain.
1: But like, he's a lot of fun in this. I like him. Um, I like the larger than life kind of silly portrayals by like both of the parents. John Larroquette less so. Uh, he definitely feels like he's trying to put on this like fun, silly character, but he's really not.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think uh, he definitely like even like brings it down. This just it feels like
1: boardroom drama for
2: <laughs> for so long too. That it's just like he 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 didn't help, and it just I just felt myself like waiting
1: for like more fun things to happen. I can totally understand that as well. For whatever reason, though, I found myself. I was able for whatever reason, I can't do this with every movie, but maybe because I had seen this before and fondly remembered it to a degree, but uh, I was able to put myself in this mindset of like, when I was a kid, I liked this. If I were a kid, I would enjoy this. And like, yeah, dumb jokes, like all of the magazine covers, like calling Richie rich, the sexiest man alive and stuff like that during that period where he's like running the business. And mm-hmm. it's all very dumb, but I mean, it's also a kid's movie. Um, and then by the time you get to the ending, I do think that the third act, like breaking into the mansion and like the gang of kids running around is a lot of fun.
2: Yeah. I wish it was just more. It felt like it was like not, not nearly enough of that for, for the first two thirds. It yeah. felt like it felt like it they could have, they should have ramped up more of the like slapsticky shit for sure. Mm-hmm. I felt like that was definitely uh,
1: missing for me. Yeah. It feels like they spend a lot of the first and second acts doing a lot of legwork right. to get, but like even like the, the super rich parents, like stuck on the life raft. I like the little cutaways to that. Um, Yeah, within the confines of what the movie is and what we know it's adapting, I did enjoy it. Um, And like I said, I went into it thinking like, oh, this is going to play rough. And then I was kind of surprised that I didn't feel that way the whole way through. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, they go out of their way, not super successfully, but they try at least to make it seem like even though they are the richest fucking people on the planet, they're not like super greedy where it's like oh yeah. the the vault only contains like family heirlooms because that's right. what we really cherish and uh like I've never fired a person in my life and
2: it's yeah I feel like as I was watching it was tough for me at times cuz like some points I felt like it, this movie like should have been like almost like a naked gun or something like <laughs> really like ramping up the absurdity of things cuz you know they have their own mount rushmore that they have an artist make with lasers but then like you know they just like stick to like the very like commonplace kind of business things as well i was like Mm -hmm. tonally it just felt like i don't know it seemed like that the tone of it would change on a whim quite Mm -hmm. a bit which i wish it would have just went for the goofy like a lot more i was expecting it to be i thought it was going to be like a slapsticky and shit
1: yeah. And it kinda is.
2: I mean it, it even like when the just with the with the parents are and there's friggin' there's like just a they get a friggin' present on the plane that's filled with dynamite. <laughs> that's all
1: just like <laughs> Yeah, it's literally TNT. Silly shit, but it's and like the a, fucking it, sniffing gun that smells it out. And yeah like, that like what is that? That does that stands for TNT, right. doesn't it? Right. Like But then they just they get like lost in the mud, I felt
2: like. Yeah, like you said with the trying to c- cover a lot of ground to get it to the
1: end. Where it's Mm -hmm. like, I don't need all this. But like, I definitely do recall when I was a kid, just like the idea of having a McDonald's in your house. That was just like the kind (laughs) of thing that when I was a kid, I'm like, easy win. I love this. I love seeing that they have a McDonald's (laughs) in their house.
2: (laughs) Easy win.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and they have a roller coaster that like, when I was a kid, I was like, Yeah, it's a fucking roller coaster at your house. And now as an adult I'm watching, I'm like, hmm. Interesting that the entire roller coaster sequence is shot in upshots because they don't want to show that it's not actually at the house. <laughs>
2: mm, <nice>. Yep.
1: Yep. <laughs> but I don't know. Like that stuff is not the stuff that I enjoyed as much this time around, but I recognize that uh, I liked that the mm-hmm. whole middle part when I was a kid because it was just showing how fun it would be to have all the money in the world. Right. No, they just don't
2: they just don't want to show you where all the the diamond mines or whatever the family yeah. gets their money from. Again,
1: that's the thing is that they play it as like, no, we're actually really good. We're gonna like, keep this company that's losing money going, and then we're gonna give it to the workers and all this stuff. <laughs> right. Like they yeah. really play softball with all that stuff. Yeah, and it yeah. would be so easy to fuck it up and this movie to just be like kind of despicable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, today, the people today are too cynical for this kind of movie. Oh, like, 100%. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, this movie could kid. not come out now.
2: Yeah, fuck that kid.
1: And <laughs> just based on the subject matter, I would not fault anyone for being like, yeah, no, fuck this movie. Because <laughs> I thought that's where I was going to be. No joke. When I started it out.
2: <laughs> where was like Richie Rich in the lexicon of pop culture at this point?
1: I didn't write it down, but I did read that Harvey Comics, who published Richie Rich, they, not long before this movie came out, they had ceased publication because Mm. it was like losing money. Okay. (laughs) But then still, somehow the movie managed to come out. Because I think whoever the producer was, I want to say it might have been like Joel Silver or something. This was like a. I was just going to say, was this like a passion project project or or something? Yeah, like for whatever reason, he. Really wanted to do this, and mm-hmm. I, again, it got made because Macaulay Culkin signed on. Right. Oh, and we mentioned I mentioned the forty million dollar budget.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Eight million of that went to Macaulay Culkin. No shit. Yeah, he got that's eight, a lot of scratch. eight mil. What did it make? Didn't it flop? Uh, seventy six, which was considered a flop. I mean, that's like Hollywood math. Though I don't feel like that should be a flop. Yeah. But- so I, I, one thing I was curious to know. Was I knew that Macaulay Culkin at some point, you know, stopped acting and then came back as like a young adult in Party Monster. But um, I didn't know until I was reading about it that this was his final movie before he took his hiatus. Mm. And I was wondering, like, is it because he stopped being bankable or something? And that's not the reason, although Richie Rich was considered a flop and his two previous films to this were Getting Even with Dad. Which had a budget of thirty million and a box office of thirty-five, so I mean, that's a also, flop. yeah, considered a flop. And the Page Master, the like partially animated, partially live-action movie.
2: Yeah, I don't even. I don't think I've ever heard of that one.
1: Oh no, I feel like it was big at the time. Well, I feel like it was big. Obviously, it wasn't because, as I'm about to say, the budget was thirty-four million, and the box office was was only thirteen point seven for that one.
2: Yeah, I don't. I feel like I only came across it as I was scrolling through his stuff earlier, but I don't. That didn't ring f- anything for me.
1: I remember the there was like a video game, and it's it's one of these things where they were obviously like, "Oh, this is going to be a huge hit," so they like planned to market it out the wazoo, and then the movie came out, and they were like, "Uh oh, nobody's going to buy these toys or this video game <laughs> or anything." Uh oh. But it, I, I mean, I haven't seen it since I was a kid. But it's something like he, you know, he gets. Like a wizard puts him like he, yeah, he is goes inside a, the books living the stories or something. He I don't enters know. a library to escape a storm
2: only to be transformed into an animated illustration by the page master.
1: Yeah, I mean that almost sounds like the plot of never ending stories. <laughs> like, kind of yeah. the library in a storm kind of thing. Sure. But uh, yeah, no, Macaulay Calkin decided to take a hiatus from acting and focus on school. And uh, his next film would be Party Monster with Seth Green nine years later in 2003, which I never saw that. I remember all the talk about it at the time because it was all about like it had like drugs and I think it had like some like a gay character in it or something, which in 2003 was like, ooh, wow, that's unusual. But um, I didn't know. Do you know what the premise of that movie is? Do you even have no, like a concept? Are you aware of that movie's existence? I, just by looking at his
2: IMDb, I feel like I've was more aware of that saved movie that he did the following year. So I've got, I've got nothing on party monster.
1: I just remember it being the talk because it was like, Oh, he's back. And like, everyone said he was terrible in it. I've never seen it, but it's based on a true story about a guy. I think it was in New York city who was just like this. He became known as this like party planner guy. He would throw these like amazing parties and he was huge in like the club scene. And, um, He ended up, like, murdering his friend slash drug dealer, and he was, like, so just, like, egotistical and full of himself, and he was, like, so popular and had all this money from, like, just being, a like, this, like, icon of the club scene that he... Just, like, openly admitted in, like, a radio interview that he murdered somebody, thinking, like, oh, I'm untouchable. Nobody's going to care. Like, he's a drug dealer. And then, like, got in super trouble for it, obviously, because he murdered somebody. And that's what that movie's about. I never knew that.
2: Okay. Yeah. Nothing.
1: Yeah. So weird, interesting thing for Macaulay Culkin to come back to acting as a drug dealer or a, as a murderer. Yeah. <laughs> but.
2: Yeah, it doesn't look like he had much of anything else that I'm aware with at all.
1: But yeah back to richie rich uh it did only gross thirty eight million domestically seventy six worldwide but uh it made over hundred and twenty five million dollars in v h s rentals and by april nineteen ninety seven had sold forty four point two million dollars worth of v h s tapes oh wow, so it was had a second life yeah, sort of a success mm-hmm In a
2: manner of speaking. Well, that's what's tough with movies, too. It's like you kind of have to take that into... Especially back then, you have to take that into account. Yeah. I mean, the thing was probably flying off the shelves at uh, Blockbuster and shit.
1: Yeah. I mean, that was definitely part of the market at the time. That jumps it up from, what, 76 worldwide to, like, uh, 250 worldwide, almost. Yeah. Seriously. (laughs) Something like that. But... A direct-to-video sequel titled Richie Rich's Christmas Wish was released in 1998, featuring David Gallagher, who I'm not familiar with, but he was in the movie Phenomenon. Uh, okay. He played Richie. Martin Mull, who was uh, the Roseanne's boss at the diner in Roseanne. Mm, I can't picture him. But... Kind of like a scrawny guy with glasses and a beard. Uh, He played Richie's dad. Uh, Eugene Levy played Professor Keenbean. (laughs) And uh, Michelle Trachtenberg from Harriet the Spy and Buffy the Vampire Slayer played uh, Gloria, the young girl. I I don't know anything else about that. (laughs) Like, apparently the studio was already planning a sequel before the first one even came out, but then, like, the movie not doing super well and Macaulay, like, giving up acting... Like, it's a little surprising. Well, I guess probably, so this came out, like, the direct-to-video sequel came out, like, four years later or something. So they probably saw how well it did on video and were like, well, if we drop another one of these into the video stores, we'll make our money back. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know how much it made. Yeah. yeah I don't know. So I came out surprisingly positive on Richie Rich somehow. <laughs> Uh, directed by our old buddy, Donald Petrie, who also directed Welcome to Mooseport.
2: Oh, shit. All right.
1: So, and written by the team that gave us Major League Two.
2: Okay. Well, I mean, <laughs> that fucks with Major League Two, as you know. So.
1: Anyway, Richie Rich. Want to talk some posties? Uh, Yes. Right off the top, I feel like we say this every now and then, this My Girl poster does not ring any bells for me. Not even a little? Nope. Uh, I mean I looked it up And like on Wikipedia They have a different poster that says Like coming whenever at the bottom uh, Mm -hmm. Which is like a close up Of the two of them kind of Not facing one another and like Smiling. that,
2: that sounds like the much more Well known image
1: Yeah I mean not to say that that's necessarily Better than this one I mean this is the two kids Standing in a white void Right this is just
2: Cute kids check it out
1: Yeah I mean, even the uh, the little, well, not little, the long tagline makes it feel like what we were kind of talking about, where it's like they didn't even know how to describe their own movie.
2: Yeah, which I don't even know.
1: When your dad's an undertaker, your mom's in heaven, and your grandma's got a screw loose, it's good to have a friend who understands you, even if he is a boy.
2: I mean, I even feel like they play up their relationship a bit <laughs>
1: there that, you know, it's more...
2: Again, not that they're not friends, but he's just, he's got so little screen time in this movie.
1: Yeah. And just the way that that reads and the fact that it's the two of them and nothing else, literally nothing else on the poster. Yeah. Makes it feel like this whole movie is going to be them running around, but there's like so much of the film that's like about other aspects of her life Mm -hmm. and like the the teacher and the poetry class and, you know, her father and the, his new employee's relationship and everything. Yeah. This, yeah,
2: just back to kind of everything
1: feels like uh, cashing in on home alone. Yeah, but um, I mean that being said, since <laughs> I I feel like I'd be hard pressed to come up with a better poster than just like the two kids, be it them standing in a void like this or the other one that yeah. we talked about that Wikipedia shows. Because as we described, the movie is kind of hard to summarize.
2: Yeah, I mean you're you this movie you got to show these kids yeah faces especially so you know there's i can't even think of any like certain iconography from the movie that would be better
1: placed than i mean just because just standing there. it it would probably be a more appealing image to me like just off the top of my head i would say like a nice scene of that uh the tree and the dock where they go fishing and like one of them sitting fishing on the dock and the other one like hanging from a tree limb or something.
2: Yeah, I mean, that'd probably, yeah, for sure. That would probably be it. Cause this one is just, this is just movie poster. 101 first draft.
1: Yeah. Like there's probably a dozen movies at least that have just the two main characters standing back to back. (laughs) Yeah. With or without a background. So also just to be, uh, feeling
2: like a picker of knits for some reason on this one, but the the spacing of the four lead names along the their feet. Uh-huh. Doesn't feel like it's on the same line. They doesn't feel like they're equally spaced. Just the whole thing feels off to me and I feel like my <laughs> eyes catching that for some reason. Yeah. Not a great poster. No. Again, just this is Yep, perfect. That's
1: all we need. Send it out. Send to <laughs> theaters. Uh, the Good Son. This extreme close-up was unnecessary. <laughs> I mean, this was them capitalizing on just, we got this kid, let's ah, put him on the poster. 100%. I mean, uh, Elijah Wood is the main character. He's arguably in the movie more, but he's not even anywhere to be found on this yeah. poster. Yeah, no,
2: this is, you liked Home Alone. Watch him be evil.
1: Yeah. I mean, I can imagine as like an adult Especially like if you had kids who like incessantly rewatched Home Alone on video, like I did when I was a kid, seeing this the poster and or trailer for this would probably be intriguing. Like, oh, they're gonna take that kid and make him evil. Oh, 100%. Yeah, like that. That's yeah, that's I mean, the whole
2: marketing of this for sure.
1: Yeah, I it's mean, just... that face, the tagline, which I feel like serves the poster well in this case, evil has many faces, mm-hmm. and the title. Yeah, I mean, it's not great, but I feel like we harp a lot of times on like, does this poster get across like what the movie is? And I feel like this is pretty successful while being relatively simple.
2: It is. Yeah. I mean, it's got the house, which is you wouldn't know before seeing the movie that plays such a big role. And yeah, but as far as like, it actually is, I think it's an extreme close up, but the way that even like the titles laid out in that section of jacket, I kind of like, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's not bad. I mean, it's just not like particularly inspired.
1: How easy would it have been for them to put something corny like a, a, a weapon peeking out over his shoulder, or like <laughs> oh, a, yeah, a, a yeah, shot of sure. him like full body in the middle of the poster, like standing in front of an adult and like holding a knife behind his back <laughs> that they don't see <laughs> yeah, or something? Yeah, like, for sure. That feels like the way they would have gone. And yeah, no, I don't know. This point. is almost like brilliant in its simplicity. I feel. Yeah, no, it's like. You like
2: he is why this movie was made, even though I know it was like he wasn't the first choice necessarily. But like, yeah. Once this thing was packaged, it's like, yeah, what this is our meal ticket is it's Macaulay Culkin. So,
1: yeah, it almost feels like them saying, "Well, his father strong armed us into putting him in this. If it's a failure, we're going to make sure that everybody knows oh. it's his fault." Also true. <laughs> Good point. And uh, Richie Rich, this is just the beginning of the end, right here. Yeah, there's a lot of uh nasty photoshoppy stuff going yeah. on here.
2: It's just like can we just check uh can we check the media package to see make sure how many people do we have photos of that we can cram into this <laughs> gold Bentley? Like World's the kid
1: Rose. the kid sitting in the car all yeah. the way on the left. Yeah. Where is he supposed to be sitting? He's like leaning in from outside the car, but you only see his head inside the windshield. Right. It's
2: like his head's sn- is the window up and his head stuck up against it, even though it's a convertible? like Yeah, it's just bad. Yeah. John Larroquette, like, John Larroquette, you're not fitting on that hood like that.
1: <laughs> no. Uh, the butler, It's he looks like his head is the same size as all the children. Mm-hmm. Like, he looks like a, t- a little person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: I'm actually surprised that they're not just, they're playing up so many other factors and not just Macaulay Culkin. Yeah. To actually like putting these kids on the poster, but
1: Yeah, it's just it's really ugly. Like there's nothing, like yes, it gives you a lot of elements of what the movie is, but it's not appealing in the no. least. It's like yeah. really shoddily put together. Yeah.
2: I mean, even like the, the perspective on these these gates is awful. Like does nothing lines up, like the gates don't line up with the house or the car. Yeah. It's just bad bad Photoshop. It's just ugly. Bit really mouthful, ugly. mouthful of a uh, tagline here too. Five buddies, one butler, and a dog on an adventure so big, even the world's richest kid can't afford to miss it.
1: Yeah, not good.
2: What was the dog's name? Dollar. Maybe. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, people fucking hate that name these days. Yeah, <laughs> like you said, this movie
1: be- coming out today. So, like, I'm sure, like me, you knew that Richie Rich existed and was an old comic book. Yeah, yeah. But one thing, if you ever get a chance to look through a copy of the Overstreet Comic Book Price Guide, Mm -hmm. just flip to the Richie Rich section and look how fucking many titles there are. Like, it wasn't just Richie Rich that ran for, like, 500 issues or something. There were so many Richie Rich comics. Jeez. Just, like... Richie Riches, like, Manic Millions, Richie Riches, Dollars and Cents, Richie Riches, whatever, whatever. Like, I'm not kidding. Like, those may not be actual titles, but there are a ton of them. I'm going to find you some original art
2: get for you for Christmas. Mm. Richie Riches, like, 1947 potato sack race issue or something. <laughs> so, yeah, Richie Rich poster.
1: Not good. Uh, it is what it is. Break it down for the people, Milzy. Um... My Girl, really boring. Mm -hmm. Uh, Two Fatal Bee Stings. Ooh, didn't take much. Uh, The Good Son, I'm not like in love with it, like I wouldn't want to hang it on my wall, but it's a reasonably successful poster. I'm a little surprised to say this, but I'm going to give it uh, four rusty old bolts (laughs) in the carcass of that poor dog. Okay. Yes. (laughs) And uh, Richie Rich... This is some doo-doo buttermilk. I, I know. I'm like, uh, do I give it a one? It's really gross. <laughs> uh I mean I it I I think it's worse than the My Girl poster. <laughs> it is. I'm gonna give it one dollar.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, rich people shit. I love it. <laughs> well done.
1: Uh, all right, bye borough burn. Bye borrow, burn. Uh, Would you like to go first, or shall I? I'll go first.
2: Pretty sure there will be no matching up today. (laughs) Um, Did I telegraph that too much? I'm not throwing it into the sun, but uh, Richie Rich uh, gets the old heave-ho. It just really did nothing for me. I think maybe by the time it got to the climax, I could have been having fun if it wasn't just a slog to get to that. Mm -hmm. And on the... uh, the basis of this being a Macaulay Culkin episode. I think it was a rough performance for him as a, uh, adolescent. It kind of felt like he'd missing all the charms he had as a star in home alone. So that's going to be my burn. Um, buy and borrow for me is actually a tough one. Um, cause I do like both of these movies. Um, good son has its issues. But I find it pretty entertaining, and I do like him in it. Um, especially when he gets splattered
1: on those rocks.
2: Especially, um, my girl is just—you know—that's just a. It's a good coming-of-age story. Yeah. Again, look, I'm even like, I'm pausing to think of like how to even <laughs> describe it, just like we started to be like, what is the gist of this movie? But. I got to go with my initial feeling on this just as an entertainment factor. I'm going to say Good Son is my buy and um My Girl is my borrow. Wow. Yeah. I don't think Good Son did not hold up like Young Dex thought it was like, <laughs> You know, just a good time, a good thriller, you know, scary and all that, but I found myself still enjoying it quite a bit for its flaws. Fair enough. For me, uh my girl I'm very curious how this is going to play out. <laughs> I think I know, but
1: my girl I just I was really smitten with it when I watched it like I knew that it was like a sad movie. It was known for being like, you know, dramatic and, and sad, but uh mm-hmm. whew, it uh I, you know, I had several things in my eye while watching that movie. Mm. Uh got a little dusty in the theater as they say. Mhm. Uh, And yeah, I just thought performances across the board were great Love the time period of it all Wouldn't know how the fuck to describe it to somebody But uh, just what I got out of it was uh, a fair amount, let's say I thought mm-hmm. it was really good mm-hmm. My borrow, just based on pure dumb enjoyment factor Is going to be Richie Rich mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I'm sure... Nobody would have predicted going into this, but uh Absolutely I not. I somehow feel like I was able to just look at it from the eyes of a child and be like by the third act I was just like, man, this is like such a fun adventure movie for kids. <laughs> um, through the eyes of a child. <laughs> but through the eyes of an adult, unfortunately, the good son is going to be my burn. I don't think it's a terrible movie. I do think that it is flawed, maybe not fatally so, but uh I think that that concept could have been handled better or more interesting or just like a little less clumsily. And while I do like what's there, it, it it feels like it should have been an easier win for me. And I just, I don't know. I, I had a lot of little nitpicky problems with it this time around. So Mm. not, not a launch into the sun, but, uh, you know, in this case, unfortunately, I'm gonna have to pull Richie Rich up onto the cliff and drop uh, a good song <laughs> on the rocks below. Uh, yes.
2: Oh shit. Yeah. So, we
1: had we had aligned far too many episodes recently, so it's good final. <laughs> we had one though. Yeah, now we're diametrically opposed and match on nothing. Okay. And good before deal. I forget, because mm. we're about to announce what we're gonna watch next episode, I, I teased it at the beginning and I almost forgot. Uh, Christine Ebersole, who plays Richie Rich's mom in Richie Rich, mm-hmm. is in the movie Mac and Me. Oh, shit. <laughs> which you named this episode after. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I, I just like thought, it. when I saw it, I was like, what are the fucking chances of that? That's good stuff. Yeah. All right. I like it. So.
2: Well, Mills. Can't stop, won't stop. Time to pick the next one. How many episodes we got to pick from there, pal?
1: Uh, We have... 236 potential themes waiting for us. 6. Here we go. Millsy. 48. Millsy 48. <laughs> we do love those early numbers. Mm. All right. Ooh. Theme Whoa. for next episode is Gothic Fantasy. Finally going to watch
2: this one, Mills.
1: <laughs> I'm excited to hear can what you, you think. Can but you since you you've never it. seen it before, I'm a little afraid. <laughs> Uh
2: it's it's up against a couple of heaters in my mind so
1: yeah um i mean it's all gravy in my opinion on this one uh yeah
2: this is going to be a fun one gothic yeah. fantasy i
1: mean there is a possibility you will break my beating heart but we will
2: um we'll i'm good like that
1: <laughs> i am good like that so yes i mean anything's possible who expected me to come down as hard as i did on the good son and like roll yeah. over Right. Like a, uh, a, show, a terrified show, you showed, dog. Yeah, showed like your Richie belly Richie to Richie Rich of you know? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Hey,
2: that's what we do here. Triple Threat Theater.
1: One other quick note that just popped into my head. How yes. weird is it that Macaulay Culkin had like the whole situation with Michael Jackson and then they had a derogatory Michael Jackson joke at the end of Richie Rich? Yeah. When the yeah. statue gets its nose blown right. off, and the mother's yeah. like, "Oh, I look like Michael Jackson."
2: Yeah, that was kind of. I was that was a bit wild. I, I wonder if say.
1: Michael Jackson saw that movie in his like home private theater and called up Macaulay and was like, "How could you let them do that to me?"
2: I know, but then his daughter came later, and he's the Godfather. So yeah, yeah, wild times, Mills. Wild times,
1: <laughs> the nineties. So yeah, next episode: uh, Gothic Fantasy uh i yeah i'm i'm all about it um
2: the first one megan has never seen and we almost watched that recently Mm -hmm. so i'm gonna make sure she watches and she's been wanting me to watch the one i have not seen so her and i have that in common yeah this will be a good time but until then trip of the theater i'm joe daxberger
1: and i'm ryan miller don't fuck with me mark (laughs)